Hello! Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. This is my fourth week of podcast, and I'm so grateful for you to join me. I want to tell you a story about how God provides for us in very strange and unusual ways. A girl never forgets her first love. For me, it was a golden cocker spaniel named Peanuts. He was lovely with golden curls, glamorous floppy ears, and a stump for a tail. I loved him. He was absolutely beautiful, and he was my very best friend. He was actually my first love. My parents moved a lot. By the time I was 10 years old, I'd been to six different schools in six different states. And the move from Georgia to Oklahoma was an especially tough one because I loved my school and I had lots of friends. I had a great teacher and we were part of a wonderful church. I begged my folks not to move again, but work for my dad demanded we go. To make the transition a little easier, I bargained a dog out of the deal. Okay, but once we're in Oklahoma, I get to have a dog. And they agreed. And this was all I could think about riding in that U-Haul moving truck those 800 plus miles across the southern United States. What kind of dog would it be? Would it be a girl or a boy? What kind of should I get? Would I go to a pet shop? How will I know this is the right dog for me? It was an obsession, but it was something for me to focus on rather than the difficult move. Finally, we arrived in Choctaw, Oklahoma, and it was really late at night. We unloaded as much as we could under security lights, and we were way out in the country. We'd also hauled three horses with us from Georgia, and we had to secure them in a corral before going to bed. My dad said he and I needed to get up early the next day and try to find feed and hay for the horses. And I said, I'll be up, ready to go. And I was. Early the next morning, we followed homemade signs along the country roads reading, Hay for sale! And we finally found the small farm about six miles from our new home. My dad drove a red Ford pickup truck, and we drove slowly up the long farm lane, avoiding potholes and dips in the muddy gravel driveway. We pulled up to the farmhouse, and the nice farmer came out to greet us. He and Dad shook hands. It was 1969 in rural Oklahoma. We hadn't called ahead. Business back then was just simply showing up. That was the old-fashioned way. And while my dad and the farmer were negotiating hay and feed prices, I saw a small cocker spaniel limping across the yard near the house. He was heading toward the barn, and I was leaning on the pickup, still a little drowsy from the short night's sleep. I saw him limping and I thought, you know what? I bet he's got one of those stubborn goat head thorns in his paw. Oklahoma is filled with those stubborn things. I had painful goat head stickers in my tennis shoes, in my jeans, in my jacket, some in my hair. And I'd only been in the state like less than eight hours. I walked over to the dog and started talking to him. And the farmer saw me out of the corner of his eye and he told my dad, You'd better tell her not to pet that dog. (laughs) He's bitten three of my grandkids, and my wife said, I got to get rid of him. He's unpredictable, that one. You better tell her to stay away. But before anybody could warn me, the dog growled at me and showed his teeth. (sighs) I was so ignorant. But that's the ignorance of childhood, isn't it? I didn't know I was supposed to be afraid of him. You see, I'd never met a dog I didn't love. 
and I knelt down next to him, and as he was growling, I said, Hush! What's wrong with you? You shouldn't growl at people. I was stern, but he could tell. I was completely and totally smitten. He had this beautiful coat, he had large brown eyes, and he had these amazing, gorgeous, floppy ears. So I told him, Now you just lay down here and let me see what's wrong with your foot. And I looked at his foot, and sure enough, there was one of those horrible goat heads buried deep inside his paw between two toe pads. I dug in gently and pulled it out, and then I rubbed the injured paw and told him he'd be all right. Well, then he just got weird. He jumped up, and he started running these spastic circles around me. He ran around and around, and I would shout at him, What are you doing? Are you a spastic dog? Come here. And he was playing. I guess he just felt better and felt like playing. Finally, he settled down, crawled his short, stocky body into my lap, and we stayed like that until my dad and the farmer finished their business and got the truck loaded. The farmer said, that dog sure taken quite a liking to you. And I said, he is beautiful. I have never seen a Cocker Spaniel quite like him before. And I smiled up at the old man, the dog still in my lap. Well, you can have him. His name's Peanuts. He's free. Uh, my dad looked at me and I said, uh, you promised, you know, and that day peanuts went home with me. And in all my life, I'd never had a dog that was completely and totally mine, but peanuts was that dog. He growled. If people came up to me too quickly, he growled. If my dad yelled at me, he growled at strangers and he went everywhere I'd go. I would ride my horse in the afternoon, and he never left my side, and I don't know how that short-legged little spaniel was able to keep up with my horse when we'd be running and jumping and doing whatever. Sadly, though, the first night I had him, I discovered that he was not an inside dog. He threw up everywhere, and he cried nonstop to go outside. So, I made him a little bed near the pump house, and my dad and I constructed a lean-to shelter in case there was rain. And eventually there would be snow. And he liked it there. He liked being outside. He hated the indoors. Well, one day I came out and I couldn't find him. We lived on a small piece of property right off of I-40. It was way in the country, but there were hundreds of places he could be. I looked and looked until night and I couldn't find him anywhere. And I cried and I prayed to God, please bring him home. And he did come home. He was badly wounded. It seemed he'd caught his, well, you know, private parts on bob barbed wire and well let's just say it was hanging on by a thread he wouldn't come in the house so i made him a bed next to the wall where the fireplace was the heat from the bricks would help him stay warm and it was very cold in january my parents couldn't come near him because he'd growl at them and show his teeth but he let me doctor him and then i decided to stay out there with a sleeping bag just to keep him company until morning First thing, when daylight came, I loaded him into my dad's pickup truck and my mom drove us to the vet. We'd called ahead and they were waiting for us. When the country vet saw the injury, he grimaced, partly a male reaction, but he was also a very sympathetic vet. He disinfected the area, attached it back on as best he could, and said he needed to keep peanuts overnight. In the months that we had lived in Oklahoma, I had never been away from peanuts. He made the transition so much easier. I loved him unconditionally. He loved me unconditionally. He protected me. He went everywhere I went. I cuddled him and brushed him, and on Sundays I gave him a special can of dog food. I kissed the top of his head and scratched his ears, and 
He was mine. He was all mine. I hated leaving him there at the vets, even just for one night. The next day was Saturday. My folks took me to get him. And boy, he looked a whole lot better. He had stitches. And the doctor said the most important thing to do is watch for infection. He gave me a cream to put on the incision. And he also said, watch out because I don't think this dog's going to be able to urinate again. One thing I can guarantee, he'll never have pups. And the next year, my folks moved again. The aerospace industry had a bump in the road and my dad lost his job. And we went from living well to living poorly in a moment's time. We went from a lovely four-bedroom, three-bath home in the country to a two-bedroom, one-bath, very crowded duplex in Choctaw. My dad started working three jobs just to make ends meet. And peanuts, of course, came with us, but we didn't have a fenced-in yard. And he was accustomed to having the run of the place. You know, when we lived out on the farm, he'd run all over the country chasing rabbits and sniffing stuff and following me on my afternoon rides. And just like he wasn't an inside dog, he also was not a city dog. Our neighbors, the duplex neighbors, had a female dog named Mutsy. And of course, you know, she fell in love with Peanuts the first time they met. And who wouldn't? Even though he wasn't terribly tall, he was incredibly handsome. And she didn't know he was a eunuch. He didn't act like one. He was such a ladies' man. One afternoon, I came home from school, and he wasn't waiting on the porch for me. And I called and called, and I couldn't find him. And I went looking for him all over town and asked everybody if they'd seen him. Nobody had. He was nowhere to be found. And Peanuts was gone for six days. Finally, on the seventh day, after Sunday evening service, we came home, and he was waiting for me on the front porch. I shot out of the car and ran up to him, hugging him and kissing him, and he smelled terrible. I pulled back my arm from around his neck, and my clothes were covered in blood and dirt. Peanuts laid over onto his side, and there I could see that his neck had been bitten into, and a large chunk of flesh was missing, and the skin around the wound had started to decay. He looked at me, and I could tell from his eyes that he was in great pain. I got him some water, and I could literally see his throat moving as the fluid passed through the walk through. It looked to me like he'd been in a dog fight. He never understood that he was not a big dog, and he never listened to me when I told him to leave other dogs alone, and he was so protective of the girl next door. I sat down next to him, my little protector, my little tough guy. He was so thin, and he looked so weak. I stroked his head and I began to cry. And I prayed, Lord Jesus, please, please don't let Peanuts die. Please save him. Please, Lord. But I think in my heart I knew it wasn't going to happen. After about an hour, my dad came out to the porch and he said, Terry, look, Peanuts is really struggling to breathe. I go, don't say it. I don't want you to say it. We'll take him to the vet, and the vet can fix him. He did last time, and we can take him right now. I'll carry him. And I was sobbing because I wasn't going to give up on him. He was all I had, and he was my one constant in an ever-changing, ever-chaotic life. My dad said very quietly, Terry, we can't avoid the vet. We can't afford the vet. 
But even if we could, you see how the skin is gone? There's so much infection, and he suffered for quite a long while. The doctor can't patch him up, and there's nothing really that we can do. And you know what the best thing for him is. And my dad waited for me to answer. I said, I can't. I can't, Dad. I can't put him down. I love him. I love him so much. But my dad said, you know, Terry, if you really love him, you'll want to do what's best for him. And it was the hardest decision I'd ever made in my 10 years of life. I shook my head, yes, but in silence, and tears were streaming down my face. My hands trembled as I stroked his blood-matted, dull coat. How will we do it? I asked my dad. Just leave it to me, he said. My dad went inside the duplex and came out with a handgun. He'd put on a jacket and headed to the truck, where he pulled out a green, small, army-issue shovel and an old blanket. He threw them in the bed of the truck and was coming back for peanuts. Wait, I'm going with you. Let me change my clothes. My dad loaded peanuts into the back of his truck. He'd laid him carefully on the blanket. It was starting to get very dark outside. I climbed into the back of the truck and sat next to peanuts. He laid his head on my leg and I whispered his name. My dad said, it's going to get chilly back there. Are you sure that's where you want to ride? Yes. Yes, I was sure. Peanuts wasn't going to take this ride alone. I'd rode with him in the very truck the day we brought him from the farm. And I was going to take this last ride with him as well. We drove way out into the country where we used to live. It was where Peanuts was the happiest. It was where he ran and played and chased things. <laughs> it's where he'd been free. We drove down the country road near our old house, and after we'd gone quite a ways, Dad pulled off the side of the road. He left the truck's lights on. I had a sick, aching pit in my stomach. I felt nauseous, but I knew I had to be strong for peanuts because he could sense fear and I wanted his passing to be as peaceful as possible. He'd actually come home for me to fix the situation. He'd come home for help. I got out of the truck bed, and my dad lifted Peanut's listless body out of the truck. Poor Peanuts looked horrible. He looked awful. His body was so thin, and his once beautiful coat was dull and tangled, and matted and bloody and filled with dirt. And I hated to see him looking like this. My dad took him into the woods and told me over his shoulder to stay by the truck. I put my hands over my ears, knowing what was coming. Tears were rolling down my cheeks. I wanted to run. I wanted to run as fast as I could to get as far away from that situation as I possibly could. But I didn't run, and I heard the shot, and my heart broke. My dad came out of the woods, and instead of deep grief or sorrow, he said, Terry, you've got to come see this. Here, let me let me pull the truck around so the lights will shine here. You've got to see this. And I thought to myself, my dad is so sick. What kind of father wants his daughter to see her dog dead? What kind of human being would be so deranged? And my dad said, really, you're going to have to trust me. You've got to see him. 
and my dad took me by my hand and walked me over to where the truck's headlights were shining. And there, laying on the ground, was Peanuts. And he was clean, and he looked fat, and he looked shiny golden, and he looked as beautiful as the day I got him. And my dad said, it looks like some kind of a miracle. We were both in disbelief. He said, I shot him. And then I looked at him, and look at him, Terry. He's beautiful. Look at him. Remember him this way, not like we found him on the porch. Right now, he just looks like he's sleeping. And he did, golden and soft and shiny. He'd fallen in such a way that his wounds were hidden. And his face looked like he was just asleep. My dad took the blanket from the truck and wrapped up peanuts carefully. Then he dug the small grave and respectfully, gently placed my little dog in it. We stood there after Dad had covered him with the fresh dirt, and I said a prayer. Lord, thank you for my dog, Peanuts. Thank you for letting me have such a wonderful friend. Please take care of him. Amen. My dad and I walked silently back to the truck. We got in and headed home. And on the way home, my dad said, You know, Terry, I know just how you feel. I had a dog once. His name was uh, his name was uh, Peanuts. Yeah, Peanuts. And when I was about you know your age, he got into uh, well he he got into a fight with another dog, and the other dog bit his neck. And well, we had to put him down, and it was really hard. And so I know exactly how you feel. I looked at my dad sideways. You had a dog named Peanuts. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, why haven't you ever told me about this before? Um, I don't know. Just didn't think of it before. But I did. I had a dog named Peanuts, and we had to put him down. C.S. Lewis believed that dogs with names go to heaven, that when a dog is loved by a human being, then that dog is in heaven waiting for its owner to come home. And quite honestly, I like to believe that. I believe all the dogs I've loved are in heaven waiting for me with tails wagging and tongues licking and happy faces. But Peanuts was the one I loved first. And because of that, he was the one I've loved the most. And I believe with my whole heart that Peanuts is there waiting for me on the front porch of my home in heaven. Summer came and in the backyard I waited eagerly for the little girl dog next door to have her puppies. Mutsy was a white terrier mix of some kind. Finally, her puppies came, and I sat with her the whole day as one after the other, all six were born. Each one golden, each one short-legged, and about as cocker-looking as you could imagine. Each one the spitting image of their father, Peanuts. If that old vet could only know how good his handiwork really was. We moved that summer to a small apartment across town in Bethany. Peanuts could never have lived in an apartment complex. And the next year it was Houston, more city, and more apartment living. It's hard to explain the cycles of life that God has designed into each of our lives and in this fallen and broken world. God gave me Peanuts at a time when I, as a little girl, desperately needed him. But through a very difficult and painful experience, God also taught me that life goes on and that he is able to comfort us in our mourning and he allowed me the opportunity to see my dad in a whole new light. And oddly, 
It's one of the best memories I have of my dad. And I still get a chuckle when I think of him saying, I had a dog named Peanuts too. Not original, but it was an effort. Well, that's today. That's today's podcast. Thank you for joining me for Truth Matters. I hope you were encouraged by this story. And I hope that no matter what you're facing today or this week or this year, that you remember that God is in the details of our lives. He's written our, ha- our names on the palms of his hands. He knows the number of hair on each of our heads. And he cares about whatever we're experiencing. He wants to be there with us in it and through it. Blessings. And I'll see you on Thursday for Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy.